let me ask you to open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Guests, we are very glad to have you with us this morning. Uh, We have been working our way verse by verse through this book of the Bible. Uh, You're absolutely welcome to use one of the Bibles provided for you in the seats in front of you. uh, If you don't have one with you this morning, you'll find our passage that we're looking at on page 738 in those pew Bibles. Where were you 15 years ago today? I imagine most of us have already been thinking about that question this morning. We have a lot of younger ones here who either weren't around 15 years ago or were perhaps too young to remember. But for most of us, we can remember distinctly where we were. Crystal and I had been married only six weeks. She was teaching at a local Christian elementary school. And I was in class at the University of Mobile. And because I was in class, uh, all of us in that room were oblivious to the fact that these attacks had happened. And just outside the religion building, there was a little student center. And so as I came out of class, I noticed that there were a lot of students gathered in there, far more than was typical. And so I walked in to see what was going on and found everyone gathered around the television that's when I saw the footage of the Twin Towers falling, the ash-covered people in the streets bleeding and crying. I had other classes that I was supposed to attend that day, but I, I did not attend them. I went back to the apartment that Crystal and I had just moved into days before, and I watched the news coverage and just took it all in. For those of you who are younger, You've grown up your whole lives in a culture where terrorism is a regular topic of conversation. So it may be hard for you to recognize that before 9-11, terrorism wasn't on most people's radars at all here in the U.S. Islamic extremism, jihad, uh, these were things that happened over there in, in other parts of the world. But they had little or nothing to do with us. So we thought there was a false sense of security, a false sense of peace that we had lived with for a long time. 9-11 changed all of that. The attacks in New York, the attack on the Pentagon, the failed attack which was stopped by those brave folks on Flight 93. These were the climactic beginning It's now 15 years of regular terrorist attacks, both in our country and around the world. Uh, Here, we've seen terrible homegrown attacks, including two major attacks this past year in San Bernardino, California, and in Orlando, Florida. And since 2001, we've seen major attacks in other major Western world cities, like London, Paris, Brussels others. At least in terms of the perception of many of us, 9-11 marked the day we entered into this new age, this age of terrorism. It is fitting then that we come to this passage on this day. 
I think it's an expression of our Father's love to us that in His providence we have a passage like this on a morning like this. For in this passage we find truths that give Christians security in a world of insecurity. In this passage we find truths that give us peace in a world of peril. And in this passage we find truths that give us courage in a world of fear. If there is any truth that hangs high over this passage as it does the whole book of Daniel, it is this one. Our God is sovereign. Our God is supreme over all that is happening in this world. Our God is in full control. And more than that, as kingdoms rise and fall at His command, He is creating a kingdom that is unlike all the others. A kingdom that will last forever. A kingdom that will be marked by safety and peace and joy forever. Now, do you remember the cliffhanger ending that we left off with two weeks ago. King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the ancient world in his day, has had a dream. And it's a recurring dream. And he is insistent to know what it means. But knowing that people can make up dream interpretations, King Nebuchadnezzar has demanded that he first be told his dream before he be told the interpretation. If someone can tell him his dream without him having revealed it to them first, he can believe that that person also is giving him the right and true interpretation. And his wise men failed him. The best counselors that Nebuchadnezzar has have all failed him. And so the king has ordered for them all to be killed, torn limb from limb. But Daniel and his friends are counted among the wise men. And their lives are about to be taken along with all the others. And so Daniel asked the king for time. And he and his friends prayed to the true God, asking God to reveal both the king's dream and its interpretation. Many lives depending on it. And when we left off last time, God had graciously answered the prayer and revealed to Daniel the dream of the king and its meaning. And Daniel was praising God. But we haven't yet heard the dream itself. We don't yet know what God was saying and, and what it meant. And so let's look first at what happens as Daniel is now brought before the king. So let's begin reading in verse 25. This is the word of God. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste. And said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise man, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. 
But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. Not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living. But in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king. And that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Uh, We see the sovereignty of God all over these verses. Uh, We see it as Daniel declares to Nebuchadnezzar that it was God who gave him this dream. We see it in Daniel's humility as he points out that he has no special abilities He has no superpowers. It was the kindness of God that Daniel has received this information. And as we keep reading, we will see Daniel is very bold before Nebuchadnezzar. Willing to declare before him that it was God in heaven who gave him his power and set him up over the kingdom of Babylon. Whatever power Nebuchadnezzar thinks he may have, these events are teaching him he is not God. It is God who has true power, and it is God who gives authority to whom he chooses. It is God in heaven who has all knowledge and wisdom. And he reveals when and how he chooses to reveal. And he keeps as mystery that which he chooses to keep as mystery. I think it's really interesting in this passage to contrast Arioch with Daniel. Arioch is the captain of the king's guard, the man who was given the order to round up and kill the wise men of Babylon. Earlier, Daniel had followed normal court procedure in order to speak with the king and to be given time for an answer to come to him. But now, as Daniel comes to Arioch to request an audience with the king because he now has the answer the king is seeking, all court procedure is thrown out the window. Arioch sees an opportunity to earn some points for himself in the eyes of the king. The picture we are given here is that Arioch quickly brings Daniel before the king himself, saying, I have found this man. Uh, Clearly, Arioch was convinced that Daniel really did have the answer, and he was trying to share in the credit. He, He wanted to ride Daniel's coattails, so to speak, into greater favor with the king. But on the other hand, look at Daniel himself. Arioch isn't talking about Daniel's God. Arioch is putting the spotlight clearly on Daniel. Arioch says to Nebuchadnezzar, this man will make known to the king the interpretation. This was a moment where Daniel could shine. This was a moment where Daniel could take credit for himself. Bask in the king's favor. Be exalted as the greatest wise man that Babylon had ever known. And Daniel does none of that. He isn't living for his own fame. He isn't seeking his own glory. When Arioch puts the spotlight on him, Daniel is quick to deflect the light up towards God. Daniel makes clear That it is his God who has given him the answer. And that he himself is just an ordinary man. Mount Hermon, when we talk about daring to be a Daniel. 
We need to be clear on this. Yes, Daniel did extraordinary things for God. But Daniel never saw himself as extraordinary. He saw himself as a weak, sinful human being like everyone else. His confidence was not in himself. His confidence was in his God. His passion was to glorify his God. Daring to be a Daniel does not mean doing, uh, daring to be extraordinary. It means daring to trust and obey a God who does extraordinary things through ordinary people. We are called to be faithful in the ordinary callings that God has brought into our lives. And God will do extraordinary things through us. But let's look at the dream itself. Uh, the dream is about an image, an idol, a, a statue. And in verses 31 through 33, the statue is described. So let's listen to these verses. Beginning in verse 31. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Friends, this is a weird statue. A head of gold, maybe it looked like C-3PO. A chest and arms made of silver, middle and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, feet of part iron, part clay. But then in verses 34 and 35, we read about this strange statue being destroyed. Look at verse 34. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand. And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So this special stone cut by no human hand strikes the image and demolishes it. The statue is so destroyed that it becomes like chaff blowing in the wind. The pieces of this statue are blown completely away. There's no evidence that the statue was ever there. But this stone, this special stone, begins to grow. It grows into a mountain. It fills the whole earth. So what is really special about this dream is the stone. Uh, since it wasn't cut by human hands, we know it comes from God. Uh, this stone is, is like God's bowling ball. And it, it comes rolling towards the image. And it, and it knocks the image down. And the, the image is destroyed and dissipates. And then mysteriously, this stone fills the world. So what does this mean? What was God saying in this dream? Well, let's look at the interpretation beginning in verse 36. 
This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. So stop there. So Nebuchadnezzar is the golden head. Uh, Daniel is clear. It is God who has given him this glory. He even sets Nebuchadnezzar beside all other men and sets him over all other men, as well as over beasts of the field and birds of the heavens. And just as God allots to each their place, it is God who brought Nebuchadnezzar to be the ruler of such an amazing kingdom as ancient Babylon. But then another kingdom is represented by the silver chest and arms. And of course, silver is not as great as as gold, Silver is inferior to gold. Silver is still very good, but silver is not gold. So this is a weaker kingdom. And we know even from this book that the kingdom that comes after Babylon is the kingdom of of Persia. The Medes and the Persians will conquer the Babylonians, but their glory as a kingdom will never reach the same heights as Babylon's glory. And then another kingdom comes, this one of bronze. This kingdom seems to be less glorious. But Daniel does say that this one rules over all the earth. That almost certainly refers to Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire that would so radically change the ancient world after the Persians. And then look at verse 40. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. You know what kingdom this is. Strong as iron, breaking all other kingdoms, the greatest empire of the ancient world. This is Rome. This is the Roman Empire. The empire that overcame the Greeks. The empire that is in power when Jesus is born and walks the earth. But what about those weird feet? Iron mixed with clay. Well, Daniel tells us a good bit about those feet. Beginning in verse 41, he says, And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. Now just to be completely honest with you, church, I don't know exactly what this is referring to. Because it contains iron, it seems to have something to do with the Roman Empire. But now that empire is divided. Part of it is strong and part of it is weak. 
that part about mixing with one another in marriage is the ESV editors trying to make sense of a portion of Hebrew that talks about the seed of man mixing together but not cleaving. I, I don't know if intermarriage is actually in view, but certainly it's the picture of a divided kingdom. Some think this is the Roman Empire when it splits into east and west. Others think this is the Roman Empire once it becomes Christian, or, or really a divided mixture of pagan and Christian. There are many theories, but I do think it has something to do with Rome in her weaker latter days. So put all this together, and what is this statue? It is the kingdom of man in all of its changing forms. This statue is Babylon. Man's attempt at culture and civilization apart from the true God depicted in the rising and falling of different kingdoms. And as one human kingdom leads to another human kingdom marked by pride and power and military might and violence, here comes the bowling ball. Here comes that stone that will eventually topple every human kingdom and take over the world. What is it? What is the stone? Well, look at verses 44 and 45. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Dear friends, the great stone is Christ. The great stone is the kingdom of Christ. The great stone is the, the sovereignty of Christ, the authority of Christ, and the kingdom that Christ came to create. It is the kingdom of Christ's people being saved from every tongue, tribe, and nation. One day, on the last day, Christ will return to this earth with all of his people who have died. And we who are alive will meet them in the air. And scriptures say that we will join Jesus in bringing judgment on this world. And Babylon, in every form in which it takes today, will be destroyed. Every human kingdom built on human pride will be decimated. Judgment day will have arrived. And then this world is going to be made brand new. And heaven will come to earth. And the kingdom of God, the church of all God's people, from Adam to the very last believer, will exist here on this glorified earth forever and ever. As Daniel says, this kingdom shall stand forever. So what are the implications of all this? In our age of terrorism. Well, first, dear Christian, your God is in control of all history 
including the events to come. Isn't that what we see here? God is able to reveal these things to Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar because he knows the end from the beginning. And how does God know the end? Because he wrote it. Because history really is his story. Each new day, as the sun rises, we are simply turning to the next page in the book of history that God has already written. And friends, we know the end of the book. Christian, you are part of the kingdom that lasts. You are part of the kingdom that never ends and never fails. Oh, in our day, the kingdom of Christ is shaken by, by acts of persecution. In our day, the, the kingdom of Christ experiences terrorism as Christians are targeted in violence. Our brothers and sisters are disowned by their families, imprisoned by governments, even beaten and killed. But once this kingdom reaches its culmination, it will be a kingdom of perfect peace where no evil of any kind will ever breach its borders. Dear Christian, I simply ask, aren't you glad to be part of the kingdom of God? Aren't you thankful for what Jesus has done for you? Second, dear Christian, do not set your hope on any earthly kingdom. ISIS has lost much ground in the last 18 months, and Lord willing, they're about to lose more. But their goal, like some other Islamic terrorist groups, is to set up a kingdom. And even if they were to succeed, this kingdom would just be another form of Babylon. It would be another earthly kingdom, a man-oriented kingdom, a kingdom marked by all kinds of wickedness and built on human pride. Don't place your hope of defeating that kingdom in this one in which we now live. Our nation is a different kind of Babylon, one that is thankfully far different from from groups like ISIS. Our kingdom has much more of God's grace upon it, but still the United States of America is an earthly nation, one of many others that will eventually tumble and fall. Do not put your ultimate trust in the U.S. military. Do not put your ultimate trust in a vote for Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or someone else. I'm not saying don't vote, do vote, but don't put your hope in a candidate. Instead, set your trust in the King of Kings, the King of the one kingdom that will never fail. Some trust in chariots, others in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And what is His name? His name is Jesus. And we put our trust in Him. We set our hope on Him. When you are afraid because of world events, run to your King. Jesus is the greatest of all kings, for He can give you personalized attention. He can work through His Spirit and His Word to comfort you, to bring you courage, to strengthen you. He hears your prayers and He reminds you of the long view. 
as he did last Sunday, he can remind us that we have no reason to fear death anymore, for death is only our servant to bring us to him. So set not your hope on any earthly kingdom, but on the king of kings. Third, dear Christian, in the midst of all the bad news, make sure you see the most important news. What is the most important news? What is the most important thing happening in the world today? It isn't the terrorist attacks. It's what often happens after a terrorist attack. It's what's happening in countries all around our world, among peoples all around our world. What did the passage say? The rock, the kingdom of God, will grow until it fills the whole earth. Mount Hermon, that is happening right now. The gospel is saving souls. People are being transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Your nightly news is not reporting on this. CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, they say nothing about it. If Iran is in the news, it is likely because of something to do with terrorism. Has anyone told you the real reason Iran should be in your heart and your mind? Did you know that Christianity is growing in Iran faster than any other country on the planet right now? Did you know that? Missionaries are sharing the gospel and people who have been left broken by constant fighting within Islam are hungering for something real. They want something that can bring them true peace, true joy. And the glorious truth of the gospel is what they need. The glorious truth of the gospel is coming to them by the mercy of God. And people in Iran are converting from Islam to Christianity. It's staggering. You want some more good news? Look at the country of Bangladesh. Bangladesh is a Muslim country of 165 million people. Persecution has been rising against the tiny Christian minority there. But in the last six years, 90,000 Muslims have converted to Christ in Bangladesh. In the article I read on this, a pastor who converted from Islam to Christianity in the mid-90s, said that when he started his ministry, there was only one Christian family in the entire community in which he lived. Now he said there are 1,500 believers from Muslim backgrounds worshiping Christ together. Let the world do what it may. Mount Hermon, the stone is growing Jesus Christ is building His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, finally, dear Christian, in this age of fear, be eager and ready to witness to anyone. At the end of the day, that is what God is doing through Daniel in this passage. He is using Daniel as a witness. Nebuchadnezzar has the authority to take Daniel's life at any moment. In fact, he's already given the order. But Daniel seems more concerned for Nebuchadnezzar than for himself. He goes out of his way in his interpretation to point this king to the true God of heaven. Friends, in our day, many people are living with anxiety and fear. You and I know the gospel that brings peace. 
Let us not withhold this message that could bring such help and salvation to so many people. Look for every opportunity to tell others what Jesus has done for you. Look for every opportunity to explain why it is that you do not live with fear, but with confidence in your Savior. Like Daniel, be ready to witness to anyone, great or small, about your wonderful, merciful King. And if there is anyone here this morning who has never turned from their sins and placed their trust in Christ, we urge you to do so today. The kingdom of Christ is open to you. All you must do to enter in is entrust your soul to Jesus Christ. Believe that through Him your sins are forgiven. Follow Him as Lord of your life. There has never been a better King. There has never been a better Savior. There has never been a better friend. Oh, how I hope that you will call out to Him. And that you will come to know Him. Let's pray.